0: Frank, both you and I are literally trying to do the same thing right now, get apps into our users' hands, and we're failing in every regard of life, Frank. It's happening right now.
1: Yeah, uh, my knowledge is so out of date, I had to ask you because I saw rumors on Twitter that Application Loader, yeah, that's what it was called. That's the tool that I've used for years. It almost feels like a decade to upload apps. And Apple's decided to uh, stop shipping it, stop supporting it. You're supposed to stop using it. And I'm like, James, what am I supposed to do? I had to ask you. I feel bad. I should be more on top of iOS stuff.
0: I like that you had to ask the Android guy how to distribute your iOS app. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm like i got I got these executables. I need to get them out to people, but it turns out uh I just it's been in the back of my mind, uh like I said, I've seen it on Twitter. <laughs> people are mentioning that this is happening uh, I just haven't actually released any apps in the last month, so I haven't had to deal with it, so now I'm dealing with it and then you said something terrible to me. you're like, well, if your apps were in c i And I was like, James, of course, my apps are in CI, but I think you were implying some sort of CD thing also.
0: Yes, I forgot to say continuous integration and continuous delivery. If you had a CI-CD pipeline, Frank, then you'd be good Mm -hmm. to go.
1: So my reply was, James, we've talked about this on (laughs) Merge Conflict constantly. I have good CI. I even have um, a little marquee display that I made. Remember, I was talking about my IoT device that displays build status. I am good at CI. CD, uh, I've completely ignored. Not doing that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, okay, let's talk first here about how you get your builds. So do... For developer builds. Okay. So you have continuous integration set up. Like, do you ever do anything with the artifacts in your continuous integration? Or is it just a hey, this thing built successfully? Thumbs up. I'm very excited about it.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit all over the map. So I would say for half of my apps, uh, probably more than that, (laughs) the majority of my apps, it is just a thumbs up. Build or no build, run some tests, that kind of thing. Uh, Usually not even uh, device tests, almost always not even device tests. That said, I do have a few apps in uh, Microsoft's mobile app center whatever it's called in 2019 (laughs) not hockey app (laughs) tool thing which uh, is quite nice i think for a free account out there they'll do builds for you and even make sure that the app starts up on a device so i have that for uh my bigger apps just so i i can be absolutely sure plus sorry to keep hogging but um it comes down to how i deal with beta testers also So some people have beta testing through App Center. Some people have beta testing through Apple's thing. And for that, my deployment is all different. Oh, my God, James, I'm just realizing how scattered I am about all of this stuff.
0: (laughs) Well, it's hard when you've been doing it for, what, 10 years and probably still supporting apps that are 10 years old.
1: Yeah, exactly. But even that, it's just... um, a laziness not to move everything over to one system. Even now, lately, uh, GitHub Actions has been added, and I am absolutely in love with it. But that is most definitely just um, CI, continuous integration, continuous builds, thumbs up, thumbs down. Did I break the code or not?
0: I, I feel like this is funny too, because... We've talked about CI and C D and we both ship a lot of libraries. And I feel like for DevOps, we're talking DevOps people. Um, for libraries, I feel like we have that under control. For me, I build everything in Azure DevOps, like easily. It just go build this library and then ship it to NuGet, right? Just like, and NuGet done, right? It's like very seamless. And if I have it with a beta tag, then it's a beta package. If I don't have it with a beta tag, then it's not a beta package, right? It's like, it's like, that's the world that I wish we lived in. And like, everybody just gets it. But we're not in that world. Because what you just said, you have testers where maybe their devices have to be registered. Maybe they're getting it through test flight, Maybe they're getting it via an email. Maybe they're Mm -hmm. sideloading it onto their device. And there's all these certificates provisioning and all this shenanigans going on. And what we really want to have happen is someone downloads it and then uh, to test it, right? This is like the the first goal is like, the first goal is that I want to be able to download and test my own build. Like that's the first thing I want to do because even if I build it locally, it doesn't necessarily mean that what I'm shipping to the app store is correct. And that's, that's the first like framing of continuous delivery is how can I continuously deliver an app to me? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I should say and clear the air here, how do I actually ship an app? I never take a build off of a CI server and upload that. I just don't trust anything. So whenever I really, really release an app, I build it myself on my own machine. I go to the bin and OBJ folders. I wipe them out. (laughs) I uh, build the app. I archive it. Then I start deploying it to devices and do one last manual test pass. And then I upload to Apple. How in the world do I automate all of that in a pipeline what like an animal oh my gosh oh my goodness oh, now, okay set okay. me straight set me straight
0: okay so that's not the worst thing in the world you know i did this for for many years and and to be honest frank let me, let me tell you a little secret
1: i still do this today sometimes of course um, it's a it's a tried and true method <laughs> it may be painful it may be slow but it works
0: i like that um visual studio and visual studio for max and xcode they have the archiving built in i like i love this feature the archiving tool because even if you're not using ci it's sort of like in cd i should say um it's kind of like your own versioning so you at least know like hey this is this magical build and i shipped it to somewhere because it's archived previously my archive was a dropbox folder that had uh, Android and then the version number and then like the APK inside of it. And like, that's how I remember what build I shipped to the app store. And that was, that was bad news. That was like eight years ago. And, and, uh, I've definitely come further and you're, you're right. Like at least to get it to Google or to Apple, the cool part is that visual studio and Xcode will walk you through it, right? Like Android, you can ship to Google play directly from visual studio. Like it's magical. And, The app, what is it? It used to be Application Loader. It's gone. And now it's Transporter. Did you download Transporter? It's a cool name. They were watching too many Jason Statham movies, I think.
1: (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, And I'm just logging into it, trying to remember all my dev passwords. And the UI is blank and confusing, just like the old App Loader. So I can't wait to figure out how to use this puppy. Thanks, Uh, App Loader.
0: Yeah. Thanks yeah. transporter. Thanks Apple. <laughs> yeah. And then that's, I think they, uh, they, they did this because people are distributing more than just apps they're distributing media too. So it's like one-stop shop, I think for getting everything to Apple.
1: Yeah. So let's go back to the archiving. There's one really good reason uh, for doing it. Uh, there's a few bad reasons. They take up a lot of space, especially after 10 years. Um, I, I've, I don't have, Uh, a complete archive history i've lost it between machines and all that because they're huge but i have a pretty good uh decent recent history the good thing about the archive tool is that when you get crash logs from apple you have symbol information and you can make sense of what actually crashed um i think that this is changing a little bit with how we deploy apps. I'm pretty sure we still don't upload symbols when we're deploying apps though. So we still need to keep those symbols somewhere. And if you have um, one of these archives, Apple calculates all the crazy hash codes it uses to determine which crash log is associated with which binary. And if you've done this for a while, you know it's a very hairy system. You change one byte in your package and all of a sudden you don't get symbols anywhere like a byte anywhere just because the hashes don't match anymore so the archiving tool is great for keeping all that stuff in line that said i'm pretty sure even in a ci system you could generate these archives have you tried doing that
0: yeah so when you generate and compile up your ios or android app i think there's certain flags that you can pass to the compiler to create your um, for iOS it's the DSim the debug symbols um, part of it, and um, during my continuous integration cycle, you can it's, you're just creating an archive for all intents right. That's the that's the idea there. So for me, when I think of my continuous integration, there's sort of two steps to it, which is how do I first build my debug like developer package, and then how do I build or sign my release package. And for both of those, I want to have those debug symbols. So I think this is where it becomes interesting because for you, if you're like, hey, I don't want to use any services, everything's on a machine, that's great because you have the ability to do this all on your machine and it's there. The problem though is it's time, right? It's like, it's time, it's energy, it's hard drive space. And I think the goal that at least I had was I want to commit code. And I want to get it onto my device without having to do anything special. Like, I don't want to have to do anything special. And then from there, I want to immediately ship that package to the app store. Like, that that's my goal in general. Um, so when you ask me, like, oh, like, where'd application loader go? And, oh, I got it on this transporter thing. Like, for me, I, I saw this all the time, by the way. You weren't the only one. Like, literally, the internet blew up. Um, from both Objective-C and Swift and Xamarin developers. Like, where'd it go? Um, and I was like, oh, man, I haven't, I haven't opened that thing in three years. Like, um, mm-hmm. and, it, and I was like, that's kind of uh, interesting because I feel like everybody's still going down this route. So there must be something hard about taking it from archive to full DevOps. That must be difficult. And like, what's your roadblock there? That's what I'm really curious about.
1: Okay, so we can definitely get into that. But first, let me ask one more high level question of you. Um, when you're doing, how are you differentiating between um, test builds for beta testers and distribution builds? Like, what is your physical different action for creating those two th- different things? Or is it still always automatic, like you do both always?
0: Okay, so here's let's let's before we talk about why you can't get there, let me tell you what I did, and then you can tell me why you can't get to what the thing that I did. <laughs> Does oh, that make d-
1: sense? D- should, should, should I go in your order? Let me tell you my. <laughs> no, 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 problem, no, no, I no, 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 no. Okay, no.
0: I, I think it's worth. <laughs> I think because the problem you just described is really hard, right? Um, because okay. testers versus non testers So here's my optimal flow, Frank. Here is what I think is what every developer should be doing today. Um. There are two products that I like. They both happen to be from Microsoft. The first one actually doesn't um, matter. It's continuous integration. So you can use any continuous integration service you want, and this is just building your package, right? Building your source code, compiling your app. And then those things take artifacts, and then you ship them to something else through a continuous delivery release pipeline. So the first part here is the continuous integration and I use Azure DevOps and I use the free hosted Mac build agents for iOS and Android. And they have all the Xamarin bits installed, but I also use a, um, uh, a, a plugin from Jonathan peppers called boots, which allows you to install specific versions of mono and specific versions of Xamarin, iOS, and Android on that machine. It takes like a minute each. So it's pretty slim because these are hosted, right? they, the, the software is not managed by you. It's managed by Microsoft, but there are hosted in Mac. So that's cool. So I do that. Now for Android, what I've done is I build my application twice in the same phase. So when I kick off a build, there's two phases, Android and then iOS, and these run in parallel. So Android will get everything I need. It builds my APK. So my Android package, like we've always used. And then I just recently upgraded all of my continuous integration pipelines to use app bundles. And app bundles are a new format, and you just pass it some compiler flags um, that give you an AAB, an Android app bundle. And what that does is allows Google Play to split your application up on demand. So it reduces your app size on Android up to 50%, which is cool, and you don't have to change any code. So I get two, two packages at the end of the day. Now, on Android, we live in this beautiful world where I sign my application, and that's the same exact package that I can give to Google Play or send to a tester or put on my device. It's the same same thing, right? It's all good. Now, on iOS, I have another phase. It does the same thing on a Mac and installs a version of Xamarin iOS that I want. And then I, on my continuous integration service, I sign with my developer certs first, okay? Now, there's a few ways of doing this. Some people like to build their iOS app twice and they'll say, here's the iOS you know, developer cert and then here's one with my distribution cert. It really depends if you're using different backends, right? Do you need to compile different URLs into your application? And then that gets tricky because you do have to compile your app twice. However, um, one trick that I like to do is build and sign with my developer account. But then there's a magical build step in Azure DevOps that lets you re-sign your IPA file with any other cert. So on my continuous integration drop, I get my Android bits and then iOS, I get two IPAs. I get one signed for developer and one signed for app store. And you could re-sign it with whatever because the IPA is just a signing process, right? It's just a a signing uh, step, which is really, really cool. And that's my continuous integration. Just my build phase. Any questions there, Frank?
1: Wow. We have a lot to cover. Let's start with tell me more about well, I, you don't have to lecture me, but what the boots, boots? I love boots. Uh, tell me more about it. So is it like a script? and so it's a quick install? Is it like a Linux? or sorry, it would be a Mac tool? Is it a Mac tool also?
0: Yes. Great question. So Boots is from Jonathan Peppers, and it is a build scripting tool that can work on any machine, Linux, Windows, Mac, anything. It's just a command line tool. The beautiful part is that they wrote a task plugin for Azure DevOps, so it's a very pretty UI. But if you're in YAML, basically, or if you're on your other CI service, you just say, hey, use Boots, go install this mono version and you give it the PKG for, for Mac and you, it installs it and it just downloads it. So curls, it installs, it does everything for you automatically. And the reason peppers did this was because we were at the Xamarin developer summit and we were talking about this problem, which is I have my app running and building, and then there's a new version of Xcode. And then my app stops building on CI because I'm not managing that server so boom, that's where Boots comes in because it allows me to control the mono and the Xamarin iOS and Android version, and um, and then it's it's just in control, and and you can use this on any machine, so it, it's just a command line um, tool, which is cool.
1: Love it. Can't wait to try that out and abuse it, see which uh, versions I can put in there. I think one thing that we're always stuck with is um, Xcode changes over time. That usually doesn't cause any issues, but during, you know, the wonderful beta season, of course it does. I usually have to accept that for a couple months, my apps just don't build in CI because they're mm-hmm. using like beta versions and all that. But we can ignore those couple months. So that's interesting. And I, I like that. I like it a lot, I especially like that you say it's fast. Uh, I can't wait to try that on. I'm, I'm going to try it both on Bitrise and GitHub Actions. I use both kind of crazily um so i think the last point you made was smart and i felt a little bit dumb was that of course you can just re-sign the app you don't have to build it twice because i could totally see myself just copying and pasting the build script and being like well this time we're gonna do it with these certs so uh that that was nice to know uh a tricky part here um Danny Ackerman, are you out there? Uh, Is when you have um, extensions, like Mm. WatchKit extensions and things like that. Resigning is hard (laughs) because, I don't know, it just never seems to work whenever you try to resign complex things. But I would love to see um, the source code to that step or what do you call it in Azure DevOps when you have like a step like that or a workflow item? resigning
0: it's a the it's a step but we call it a ta- a, ta- a task so
1: a task yeah so are, is that like open source could i see the code to how resigning works i'd be interested to see if they can handle that situation
0: oh yeah all of the azure devops built-in tasks from microsoft are all open source on github
1: super sweet Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tend to do everything with scripts. <laughs> and so if I don't know how to do it, I assume it can't be done. So <laughs> be good to go read someone else's code and see how they accomplish these tricky little things like that.
0: Yeah. Now the cool part too, is that like for me, um, you could of course be doing this on any CI server. Like you could be using Bitrise or you could use App Center, or things like that. The reason I like to do it on Azure DevOps is most of my apps have other components besides just the app. So even Hanselman Forms, I'm deploying some Azure functions along with my my, my apps, and I also want to control versioning. So I like it there. And, and these are totally accomplishable in uh, other services and even Boots. Like when you go to Boots, they have scripts on how to do it in Azure DevOps, App Center, GitHub Actions, and Bitrise. So it's all there for you, which is really cool. So they, they walk you through it. But I like to be in control of it a little bit more, which I think is really, really nice. Um, but but I think that's just the build part of it. And it's just sort of knowing like what goes into a build and it's it's versioning, it's building, it's signing, and that's it. Um, and hopefully your your CI service is flexible enough, right? It's like you said, it get, lets you do scripting. And App Center um, is doesn't give me enough control over that. So that's why I don't use App Center for... My builds builds. That's why I use Azure DevOps for it. But the important part is the next step, which is continuous delivery. Which is I take those artifacts from that continuous integration service, which happens to be Azure DevOps, and then I put it into a release pipeline. It also in Azure DevOps, so like it automatically flows. Um, but you know, in this regard, I, I ship it over to um, to the Azure DevOps release pipeline tool. And and what I like here is that the release pipeline gives me a flow. So there's sort of these environments or stages to a release, right? You have developer release, and then you have tester release, and then you have app store release. And there's these three pipelines pieces that go into it, right? So every single time I build an application, I literally get an email that says there's a new version of my app ready to install. Now, that is the first step in the Azure DevOps release pipeline. But Azure DevOps is not releasing that, Frank. App Center is releasing that to me. Does that make sense?
1: It's all confusing, but please... Can we? No, no, I'm I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But can we rewind for a moment? Because you said a few words that kind of struck a bolt through my heart and just made me sad for a moment. As I reflected, you said, and your website and your APIs. And that was just a shock to me because you should see how I deploy my websites. (laughs) It's tragic it is not i i have pretty good i have excellent library cicd hygiene i have pretty good app hygiene terrible for the web i mean i have a couple sites that are on azure and if i release to a branch then they update automatically so i'm sure that would fit in beautifully with your setup here but you that was a strike, man. That was a that was a that was a blow right to the chin about uh, deploying your web stuff too. Because oh my god, mine's always out of sync. Of course it's out of sync because uh, I, I write terribly complicated scripts that I never remember how to run later for deploying my websites. So thanks, thanks for giving me something else to think about and worry about. But I I love that um, I just hadn't considered it before. But of course, all the web stuff could be a part of this. So yeah, and,
0: th- and I always think of it as a solution. And when I you often work with Donovan Brown, um, at Donovan Bell Ding, uh, that's what we talk about because I love Bitrise and I love App Center, but they're really just focused on the app. You know, at the end of the day, and yes, you can script anything and make things magically happen, but the pipeline from start to finish like from commit to deployment is really important to me because i'm not a scripting guru and i and i am a gooey person so i want that nicety in there and i want it to just commit code and things happen so yeah when i when i commit code to Handsome forms it releases a new azure functions backend. It's it's literally took me five seconds to set up and then um same thing for my mobile apps it gets ready to release and i think of it like this The Azure DevOps, my release pipeline, my continuous delivery part, it's just like gates, right? I'm putting in gates like, hey, you know, this is the developer gate. What do I want to do with this package for developers? Go do stuff, right? Same thing with the website. Hey, I built this application, this, this Azure function or this website. What do you want to do with it? And then when I'm done with that, there's another gate that says, okay, for my testers, what do I want to do with this package? And... I'm in control via a button that says approve to open that gate, right? So there's closed gates and there's open gates. It's like a circuit on an iCircuit board, right? The gate is either open or it's closed. I don't know if there's an in-between. Maybe it's not connected. I don't know. But you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. um, I'm curious. It's not a perfect analogy because I assume once you open the gate to uploading a binary to Apple, you can't really close that gate, buddy. That's that. Once that gate's been opened, you can't. You're you're done for. You're sent to binary. Um, but otherwise, that sounds fantastic. Because I was going to ask you what the. I'm always interested in what are the actual actions you take. So I'm assuming you have like a toggle box then for whether this gate is open or not. But I was thinking buttons before. <laughs> you know, I I think of everything in UI terms. Like, how does this process work from a UI standpoint? Uh, but that sounds pretty good to me. I hope we're not doing just a commercial on Azure DevOps, but you are selling it pretty well because I could,
0: I'm selling the process, (laughs) selling the pro I want to I want to be selling the the process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I could do the same by, uh, doing like Git branch tricks. So I could say that there is a release branch or something like that. And whenever I push a new version number or something up to that release branch, then I can have that kick off a bunch of build scripts, but that's a semi esoteric process. (laughs) Obviously, even as I just described it, I can't even remember how it works. So, uh, having a UI in this case, I'm there with you, um, My ideal UI for the system would then be like: pick a branch at the top, and then pick which of these gates you want to open and close. Can you get the UI that simple?
0: That's exactly how it is. Basically, your release pipeline says, "Hey, whenever a release or a or artifacts from this specific branch or multiple branches happens, go do this stuff." And I have three gates. So there's there's on my screen. I'm looking at it right now. There are. there's a release which says, this happened from VNext, which is my current branch that I'm on. Like I specified, find things from VNext. And then there's a big box. It has a line from this release, and it goes into stages. And there's three big boxes of stages. So Vision 3 boxes, horizontal. I'm liking it. I like big boxes. <laughs> <laughs> one says dev and it's green and it succeeded because that
1: one auto deploys, right? It automatically deploys. Sure. Why not? Make your, make your, de- uh, oh, that's not testers, is it? Okay. I'll, I'll let you finish. <laughs> dev.
0: Yes. Then I have testers or in, in my test for this app, it's public preview. Okay. So my testers is a public preview link, but this could be internal testers. And that's another box in the middle. And currently it is blue and it says pending approval. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's another button right underneath it, which says approve. And if you click that button, then the release to my testers starts. Okay.
1: Sounds fantastic. Just how I want it to work. I'm, I'm hoping this UI is as elegant and as simple as I'm imagining, We'll see.
0: <laughs> yes. Now, there's a third box that says App Store. Now, sometimes you might have multiple boxes, like ones to Test Flight, ones to the App Store, whatever. Maybe Alpha, Google, and then whatever you want, right? So you can have multiple boxes. But I have a third one that says App Store, and specifically for iOS, I just go to, like, I go to, um, I go to Test Flight first, and then I always download from Test Flight, and then I also have a a Google Play Alpha, and I'll, te- I'll release there first. And what that does, it has another blue box that you can't get to until you do your testers go through and there's another approved box. So once you do that, it goes. Now, behind each of these boxes, Frank, are steps, there's tasks that you want to do. So this pipeline, basically, I ship my app, each step to App Center, because App Center is just like hockey app, the old hockey app. And what's cool about app center distribute is a few things that I really, really like it's the only service that I know that really does this, but you can create your own groups where people have to register like your test groups, or you can have a public preview. And this task says, take this APK or take this IPA and ship it to this app that I've authenticated with and to this group or to this store. So ship it to test flight or to ship it to whatever. So app center becomes my distribution where from any CI service, you can ship it into App Center, right? And App Center will then, you know, send your users an email, there's an SDK, where if they have the app, it'll just pop up and say there's a new version of the app available for your testers. And App Center is where I sign into my Google account and sign into my Apple account. And I let App Center do all the distribution because App Center also does my analytics, crash reporting, push notifications and things like that. And what's nice is that I also send them my debug symbols, right? To go back to the very beginning, part of my release pipeline is not to just release my app, but also to release my my debug symbols up into App Center. So if I get a crash, App Center is aware of the debug symbols and I can see the better crash logs in it. So Azure DevOps is just managing when things happen And for this thing, I am saying distribute this app to App Center, you know, uh, developer group, tester group, or the App Center group, or, or sorry, the test flight group. And at the same time, I'm also releasing my Azure Function backend directly into Azure, all from the same pipeline. Like I have those gates in place to say, when I finally go through this, then publish my backend when everybody needs to hit it at the same time. So my app's and my end are all in sync in a beautiful little flow there, um, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, sir. Wow. Okay. I like what I hear. Um, I want to go back to the buttons again, though. Okay. <laughs> buttons. So, um, yep. Are yours chained? T- I'm just curious. Personal preference here. Are yours chained together? Like you have to go through dev, and then you have to go through um, test, and then you have to go through deployment. Because I was thinking while you were talking, I'm like, that's not how I'd wire it up because I would definitely want to skip the testers. I skip testers way too often. And so um, I'm pretty sure that's how I would set up my graph. But I was just curious how you set up yours.
0: Yeah. So what you can do is um, you're really in control of this. So you can have it. So literally, when a release happens, You can have three stages that aren't linked together, and like all three of them would have an approve button. So you can say, "Oh no, this one I actually want to release just to the App Store." Go, or another thing you can do too is um, at any time you can just say create release, and then you can say skip over, (laughs) skip over these steps and go to the third one. So like you can do a you can do a manual release and say, you know what, skip over these and then
1: just ship that other thing out okay that's fair i just want to stay in button world uh but you didn't answer the question sir you personally are they uh chained together or are they uh independent of each other
0: they're always chained together yeah
1: yeah okay uh, so I did get lost in one little thing. So I love uh, some line you said about DevOps is just what you're using to orchestrate all this thing. It's just handling the events and kicking things off. And you made that really clear with the App Center thing. I had never considered using App Center in that way. It seems a little bit abusive <laughs> because <laughs> they, they, they have a nice UI. I like the App Center UI, but I never considered just having scripts just shoving data into it. So that's very clever. Uh, never considered that. But uh, going back to the DevOps, can you do uh, builds in that too? So you can say DevOps run this script on a Xamarin machine, or are you, or do you have a different CI system from DevOps?
0: From the re- CD, the, the release part, you mean?
1: Yeah. Are they two different ones, or are you uh, all in one? So great question.
0: So every stage in the in the build and in the release is on a fresh machine okay however if you want to you can have one of your release stages um you can you can pick the machine that it's building or shipping it from so it needs to spin up a machine so like if i just have a, a task a step here on my dev that says release to app center then it will just download the artifacts on a windows or a linux or a mac machine and then ship it via curl right Just like put it over there um and then via the the you know there's a restful api for them to send it over there but what you could do for instance is like one of those stages can have multiple steps so you could say hey download this artifact on this mac machine Install my provisioning profiles, re-sign this application, and then ship it wherever you want. Right? You can, you can do anything that you did in the in the <laughs> continuous integration. You could do in the release pipeline if you really wanted to. So maybe you want to run tests or UI tests or something that's like, hey, there's an in-between step between dev and and you know app store, which is run UI tests. And I I don't care about the dev part. I I want to make sure that you know, I run an additional suite of tests, like you could put that as a middle tier and totally take your app and then run UI tests on it or something like that, too. Is that that the question you're asking?
1: Yeah, but you keep saying you could. So are you saying you shouldn't? What is the recommended uh, place? Like, where do the getting started docs say I should do my builds? Well, see, all
0: of your... uh, Here's what I like to think. I like to think that That everybody has their own way that works best for them. So you do your own thing. But I like my build to be the build, right? Like this is the artifacts that I want to do stuff with. And and those artifacts are, are the distribution part of it. But I do think that part of the distribution should be additional tests or load testing of a website or something else to make sure that, hey, you know, everything worked great in dev and, you know, my testers are okay, but I want to have this additional checklist that says, before I release to the app store, before I put this website on the internet, make sure that there's an additional suite there. And I think that's okay. I think that your, your build can do tests, but I like my builds to happen fast. And I would rather that my build went green fast and then my release failed because Uh, my tests, you know, failed or whatever, or my load testing failed or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you just need to be aware of like, where would you like your things to fail? At what point, right? And sometimes it's, I want my my unit tests to fail, right? Because unit tests are really fast to run. So if I'm building a library or a website, like run my unit tests when I'm building my app. So if those fail, then it's as if my build failed. But if I'm load testing my website, like don't do that when I'm building, do that later on because I only want to load test at a certain point of distribution. I think that's sort of, you need to make that distinguishing point of like, when are the checks before it gets to go to the next thing and decide where that makes sense for you.
1: Okay, let's uh, clarify with a concrete example, because one, thing, one question I still have is whether builds kick off the DevOps process or commits to GitHub or is it a polling system and Azure is just always querying different things. So let's say I have a build on Bitrise. Hypothetically, James, <laughs> um, would I run a script at the end of my build that pokes DevOps and says, hey, hey, here's a bunch of files, uh, begin this process now, or something else? Or is it Git that triggers DevOps?
0: Yeah, so this is a great question. So the first part, which is the for both BitRise and Azure DevOps, and App Center, anything else like that, right? The build phase, so the the build pipeline where you're going to build your artifacts, that is kicked off via a commit, okay?
1: Yeah, that I have done. That's the CI part that I do for all my libraries and all that. that part, I'm solid.
0: Yes, now the continuous delivery part, so the release pipeline, that is triggered by um an artifact drop so it's like a commit of artifacts somewhere on the internet does that make sense okay
1: yeah that makes absolute sense because at the end of a ci process you always have to decide which artifacts you want to export from your uh process so for me that's usually um dev signed built apps things like that uh but for all your my libraries it's a bunch of packages so that makes absolute sense to me. And I love that because I was worried that it was gonna be like some API that you had to encode in a funny way. I- I'm sure it still is, but in some way you just have to take a bunch of files and dump them on a server somewhere and that kicks things off.
0: That's correct. So if you're doing it inside of so if you're doing it inside of Azure DevOps, it's really easy because when your build completes. Like the artifact is dropped and then the release pipeline says, hey, there's a new thing. Go start up this release pipeline, um, which is there. Now, that release pipeline in Azure DevOps can be triggered in one of nine ways, Frank. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. So it can be triggered via a build in Azure DevOps. That makes sense. Uh, it can be triggered via, I think, source code repositories. So a Git a github tfvc i think Mm -hmm. that like if you commit something there it can also trigger the pipeline to occur um you can ship items to azure artifacts you can do it ideally off of github releases so if you had a release you could be listening for new releases to github there's also
1: Mm. that's nice for libraries but i won't I'm not ever going to put my app on GitHub releases. I don't think. Oh, I, you know what? I take that back. When you were saying releases, I was thinking that you're forced to put the binaries up there, but no, it's more of just a tag. So cool. GitHub I think
0: so, releases. yeah. And then I think you can also put them in like Docker containers or Docker hubs or even like Jenkins. Like you can like link it to a Jenkins job. Now, I'm not sure what the best way to do it is if you're going to use Bitrise to build your app. My assumption is you'd either tag it in a git release or upload it to azure artifacts somehow and like basically drop something in there like drop a package or something like yeah. that i'm not
1: 100 sure
0: to be honest with you
1: that would be the simplest most ideal solution for me that would be wonderful if that's how it works because you could always just use curl or something to upload a bunch of files mm-hmm. but knowing the internet i'm sure it's complicated JSON API that I'm going to have to learn to use.
0: (laughs) Probably, probably. But I mean, Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) Ruby. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, you could most likely accomplish this. What I used to do in Bitrise is I would have multiple workflows based off the branch and then each branch would do something. But the reason I didn't like that was because then I'm building my app again, right? Like I'm, I built my app in master and then I have to like magically pull the code up into this release branch and then I have to build again and then it goes through a different flow so instead of like having multiple ways of building and managing your app like there's one way to build it and there's one way to release it and here it goes and that's kind of my idea
1: yep okay so I like all of this I like it all you 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 have me sold okay. but I have a concern James I have a concern. We are managing a lot of configurations and services and things like that. I wonder if it's truly saving me any work uh, because I have to maintain these processes. Let me actually start over. I'm going to turn this into a question instead of a concern. Let's say I I put all this effort into this for iCircuit and it's glorious. I have the most beautiful... Graph ever. It does the best things with gates and builds and all that. Versioning, great. What do I do for Calca? <laughs> Can I just take like some JSON file or YAML file and apply it to Calca? Or do I have to rebuild all that work and effort uh again for another app?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the build pipelines. So if you're like your CI part of it, that's you can just do that all in a YAML file and make your make that part of your code. For the release pipeline, there is no YAML today in there. However, mm. you can go into a release and then say export, like export this, and then import it into another one. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, So yeah, cool. What does it? Just out of curiosity, what does it give you when you hit export?
0: <laughs> I'm doing it right now. So it gives you a JSON file. I'm just file. curious. Yeah. JSON.
1: Okay. So yeah. it really is a JSON file at the end. Um, that's cool. So you could ostensibly check that in if you ever are. If you're like me and are lazy slash can never remember how to do things and like to copy and paste things. You know, I need, uh, I like UIs. I love them. But once I have everything configured, I just want to lock it down and say, these are the options that I've picked and apply it to many apps because I maintain five, six apps and it's a bit of effort. So um, Mm -hmm. any process I come up with gets multiplied by five. That's kind of my concern. So any little overhead just gets multiplied and I have to be wary of that when I'm building automated processes, whether they're actually saving me time or not.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, and I struggle with that early on with my plugins, because I have 10 or so, 15 or so libraries that I'm shipping all the time to NuGet. And inside of my Azure DevOps project, it's called my plugins. And my plugins has, you know, 15 build pipelines. And whenever I add a new library, I just right click, copy, and then Duplicate basically. And same thing with release. I just right click and I say, you know, duplicate this. And then it duplicates it there. It is a little bit tedious if I have to go through and update all of them. But I will say, like, that's like if I had to change something, I'm like, oh, I need to add this new step because I want to do this thing. I have to update all of them. But then I think, well, there'd be no difference if that was YAML because I would have to go update 15 YAMLs, (laughs) right? All with different properties. So it's similar. And I think it is one of those. It, risk versus rewards where, especially if you're a solo developer, like you and me, is it really worth my time and energy to go through this, this experience? And it takes some time, right? I think you have to invest a little bit of time in it. However, once you've done it, I mean, every time I add something new, it's like butter. It's just like, it takes the second time I do it. Like the first time took me eight hours, the next time takes me four hours, the next time takes me thirty minutes, and then the next time takes me two minutes, right? And now I'm just like, oh, I just I know exactly what I'm doing, bup, 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 bup. and, um, and ideally nothing breaks. I would say that my releases, my release pipelines have like never broken because releasing something to NuGet or releasing something to App Center has not changed, um, and even releasing to Test Flight has not really changed from a CI point. The pipelines always change because the, the for building because of what you said, right? Visual Studio is updating, Xcode's updating, all this stuff is updating. And um, that's the trickier part sometimes is is uh is making sure that that those environments don't change. The release part is fine because it's you already you already did all the hard work, right? You already did the thing. So even if you were to take your thing that you built even on your machine and then run a command to upload that, right? So even your release management could literally be, Frank, like here's the archive and then you have scripts that run to say, here's my dev one and here's my tester one and here's my other one. And like it just goes into the right places like that could totally be a thing like your ad hoc little release pipelines via, you know, bash scripts. (laughs) That's what I see Frank doing in the future.
1: No, uh, I'm I kind of like the app center part because one of my biggest concerns with the CD part was that interface with Apple uploading stuff to them is notoriously difficult to automate. So I'd love that other people are working on that problem and I don't have to deal with it. That sounds yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I like what you said about, uh, the plugins because it actually got me thinking about, um, multi-platform for myself. So this whole time we've been talking uh, Android and iOS, but uh, apps like iCircuit are is on um, three shipping three different platforms right now. It used to be on like five different platforms, and so having those separate builds is really important to me. And orchestrating the whole thing, I'm definitely not good at. I added a little feature, or I did some bug fixing to one version, and have I released it to? All three or four distribution channels and the answer james is usually no so i'm realizing that if i had put in the effort to building one of these pipelines i would have much more consistent simultaneous releases and that's uh it's making me think a bit that maybe i should uh look into this yeah you know i think that what happens is
0: once you invest in it the payoff Maybe it's a none, right? Maybe you're like, you know what? I set up this thing. It's taking me the same amount of time if I had just done it manually. But then over time, ideally, it means that you can ship new features to your testers faster. So you get that feedback faster. Ideally, you can ship an up- update without having to be at your computer because you could change some code. I was at, um, this was actually kind of cool. I was at Lance, I think McCarthy's is his last name. He works at Telerik Progress. And I was at the DevReach conference in Bulgaria, and he talked about how he shipped an update to the conference app from his Android phone. He had no computer. He was on a flight. He was on a flight in the air, Frank. He made a code because Apple had rejected his app. He made a, <laughs> a code change in GitHub, like online, mm-hmm. which kicked mm-hmm. off of a, a DevOps yeah you know, build in Azure DevOps, and then kicked off his continuous delivery part. And when he got off the plane, he could download the updated app, validate it. And then from his phone, he said, release to Apple. And it like released to Apple automatically. Like,
1: that's kind of freaking cool, right? Uh, okay, so one quick, yes, it is obviously very cool. I hope to never be in that situation. I hope <laughs> to absolutely never, ever release an app that way. But sure, absolutely cool. <laughs> uh, shoot, I just totally forgot my question. But I had a Oh, I'm sorry. So when you say uh, release to Apple, when you do it manually, it's a two-step process. So you upload your binary, and then you either um, approve it for testing and distribute it to testers, or you submit it as an update and in which case you should get give update text and other details like that. So when you say upload it to Apple, are you taking that final step of giving release notes or are you just saying that you're uploading the binary and then you have to log into iTunes Connect later and say uh new new version?
0: No, I mean, you can totally specify release note information directly for the App Store update. Now, what does James do? James mm. does not ever directly, I never directly submit my application to the release. I always, like this is my, my final step for both, you could do this, right? But my final thing, is, like from my my distribution pipeline, my final step, so where it ends is a distribution to test flight and a distribution to Google Play Alpha, and after that, I could say, "Hey, promote this build to the release and promote this build with these release notes to release for Google and for Apple." Um, for me, though, I don't like that for some reason. Like, I like to always download a test via test flight, validate it. Like, I know that like this is the build, and then I just go into the App Center Connect and I and I. And I, I flip that switch, right? I say, use this build, submit for review, make sure everything's valid. I like sort of that final like human scan that like I'm I'm doing this thing right now for Apple and for Google to like submit my app um, just so I have a, a peace of mind, right? And if you, if you want to skip all that, you can totally have your DevOps pipeline do all that stuff. But for me, I like that final little validation phase. That's kind of like my, my, my own personal gate, right? I like to have
1: that. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, and I'm a little bit uh, in shock here, you never log into iTunes Connect? No, no, no. I'm saying that I always log into iTunes Connect. Okay, okay. So you have a test flight build in iTunes Connect You go in there and you say new release, type in a new version, type in release notes, hit submit. But you're saying that could also technically be automated via DevOps?
0: Yeah, correct. You could totally just, yeah, automate that.
1: Okay. Not through App Center. That's what I was a little curious. Is it App Center or DevOps that can automate that? Um, Both, I guess. I think both can. I think both can well yeah one's probably using the other very interesting stuff I realize now that I'm a wimp and I've always just been afraid of set, setting up a complex process but I should uh I should not be a wimp because I would love to have simultaneous releases of my app could you imagine James releasing on all platforms on the same day i I can't personally.
0: (laughs) You, um, it's all possible, right? I think then the problem with that is then for like for Apple, you're, you're just submitting it for app store review, right? You're not actually getting it into the app store. So yeah, really you want it to be held for release and then, toggle that somehow right so yeah it gets can you create tricky? like a
1: gate in devops and <laughs> i'll just have when i when i click that button approved then it'll actually submit the other ones to android so i thought android had a little delay too or is that pretty instant it's two hours usually two hours okay yeah <laughs> that's sort so that's of fun. the yeah
0: phase rollout they they scan your apk for malicious stuff and then Um, it releases and phases out to the internet, basically CDN updates, right? Take some time.
1: Yeah. Well, even after, um, app store approval, it takes time to actually distribute throughout the store. So that's fine. Yeah. I don't think
0: there's, I don't, I, I don't think that it's possible. I mean, there's, I don't think it's humanly possible to simultaneously release an app at the same time on the same day to everybody right i just don't think that that's humanly possible i think you can get really close and and through this right your challenge accepted all right all right all right i love it it. (laughs) okay yeah i like i would like i would like if uh if it was possible but i'm not sure if it is i think
1: the windows store approval process is pretty fast so i'm thinking yeah i could do this that'd be cool (laughs) we'll see we'll see well that was fun james somehow we talked for 55 minutes about devops i i (laughs) it's like did we talk about machine learning and then we talk about devops but we did not talk about machine learning so i guess we're gonna have to go back and forth on that pendulum but either way 55
0: minutes of devops that's right yeah i'm curious also what our listeners um are doing too like is that did everything that i just say like make sense and that's what you're doing or is that complete ridiculousness to be honest with you like i, I don't i don't know what people are going to think <laughs> so let us know you can write into us um by going to mergeconflict.fm um and send us an email we we read those or you can leave a comment um in general we actually got a lot of comments recently and uh, i figured i'd take Few minutes here, Frank. At the end of the podcast, to talk about okay. uh, listener feedback. I love feedback. Let's do it. Okay. So the first one I want to talk about, I will put this into the show notes. But if you go to episode 174, uh, Louise from Brazil, he uh, this was episode where we we're talking about C sharp eight, and specifically mm-hmm. we were talking about arrow pattern. You remember arrow code?
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Um. Apparently, in Brazil, they call this hadouken indentation via street fighter and he put in a a graphic of ryu from street fighter doing a fireball hadouken with the arrow going into it it's it's amazing
1: it's amazing yes perfect makes yes awesome love it uh excellent yeah that was a good one IDEs should have better graphics (laughs)
0: <laughs> it should there's like every time like every time you do something or reformat it like if it just knew how to do something some cool animation came in it was like smoosh right that'd be that'd be amazing
1: or just clippy shows up and says i see you've nested your if statement a few too many times
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'd be great uh, uh. all right um uh, two more here so from episode 175 jim wrote Annie he said Um, specifically this is about nullable. So we were on the C sharp eight train, apparently, and this is a nullable enable talking about nullable reference types. Uh, Jim said a great topic and discussion. I started down the um, pound nullable path following your advice and counsel. Wow. People did it based on this. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So he said uh, specifically, I'll make sure that you read this. It's a little bit in depth, but he said uh, he was stumped a little bit when it came to understanding um, when nullable is enabled, default types. Um, so often he said, I would expect that the default of string does not equal null. To my surprise, the default of string is null. And that's actually correct, it is. How do, how does that make any sense? If default of string equals equals string.empty, then we could initialize properties with, you know, public string. Name equals default, but no, string is a special type, right? It's like, it's, a, it's an object.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an object. And um, well, in this case, it's an object reference. It's a pointer in the old C world. And the easiest way to remember is that all memory in .NET gets initialized to zero. And so if you have a reference, a pointer, and it gets initialized to zero, well, that's null. Why does it do that? Because it's fast, (laughs) because that's how it was designed. Uh, This is obviously very smart. Default could be string.empty, especially in the not null world. But basically, um, stop using default string. (laughs) (laughs) I don't use that anywhere. (laughs) But uh, uh, yeah, sorry, Jim. But it's uh, it's a great question. And yeah, if the language was being designed today, they might change that rule. But uh, yeah. Can't change that.
0: I feel like that's why half the reason why nullable happen is
1: because of string. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, string is or is null or empty um, is like just a sign that you have no idea what's going on <laughs> in your code. And I do like um, the default thing, but I, I, I take that back. I don't like default. I, I never use it in my own code. I guess only if I'm writing generic code or something like that. Uh, it's just I'd rather put the number in like even i get yelled at by the ide for initializing fields to zero it's like hey by default things are initialized to zero and i'm like yeah but i used to be a c programmer and we had to initialize things and if not bad things happened and so it's just it's built into my brain i have to initialize things with good values
0: yeah i I get with i get that with bools too because it is false but i'm like oh you know var blah 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 that's why i like often I'll use some people would just be like bool, like log in, logged in equals false. And then it'll be like, oh, don't yeah. worry. It's a bool, so you can drop that. But if you use var, then var has to be initialized, right? Because it doesn't know what it is.
1: Yep, yep. So s- subtle things like that. But yeah, uh, eh, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect language. <laughs> yeah, <it's not laughs> it shows language. its C heritage sometimes, unfortunately.
0: All right. Last one, Frank, because last week's episode on the Ultimate Developer Machine and my blog got a lot of feedback, Frank. A
1: lot of feedback. Um, Yeah. People love it when we talk about overpriced hardware. Not overpriced. I got to keep catching myself. Very expensively priced. Very costly hardware. (laughs)
0: Yes. And uh, Twitter, there was a lot more feedback, but I figured on the website, since I'm on the, hey, you should leave comments on our website. Why don't I read the comments on our website? Um, jimmy scott wrote in um, um he said hey he said without sounding smug because we definitely probably sounded smug throughout the entire podcast <laughs> um he he said that he has a similarly spec portable laptop maxed out and it is not a massive alienware thing one i'm also interested in what it is he didn't say what yeah. it is but i'm i'm curious um he says it's his only machine and he regularly has multiple VMs running. So that validates what we are thinking about modern day devs. We have multiple things running. Um, so he says it's definitely possible to use the laptop as a primary workstation. I agree. Um, he said the difference and why he didn't get a Mac- MacBook is that a MacBook is about 1800 pounds. So he must be living in the UK more expensive than the machine that he built. And in the grand the- grand scheme of things, it's not that much if you're using it every day. However, there's a few things that he likes. He says, hard drives. I can easily change them out if they die. I can rip out the memory. Um, if one so dim dies, he likes that, you know, it's modular basically compared to a Mac. But he says the biggest thing is support. Um, he says, if you have a primary workstation, like this is what happens when it goes, something goes wrong with it. He said his model that he bought has a four year next day on site support. And he says with Apple, you need to take um, that into consideration with Apple Care, I guess. How many days before it's fixed and what's the cost to you or your business? That's a good question. I, I guess last time I bought an iOS device, I bought Apple Care. And then on my Surface Go that I bought, I bought Microsoft Care. I guess that's what I don't know what it's called. Um, <laughs> And that was, I literally took, I actually had problems with my Surface Go. The bottom part of the touch screen stopped working. So I took it in and they gave me a brand new one um, within 30 minutes. So it was kind of cool. I don't know about Apple. Have you had a lot of, um, have you ever had a lot of interaction with Apple Store and old machines and things? I, I feel like they're pretty good, but no. I could be wrong.
1: I don't know. I try to, I avoid them like the plague, even though um, on my, uh, I have one computer with a broken part that's technically under... um. What do you call that product exchange, whatever they're supposed to fix it, but I don't want to make an appointment. I don't care. I have like glue holding it up and the glue seems to be working just fine for now. So this is a pretty great situation. This has gotten himself into. I don't know how many people have four year next day onsite support. It's not something I see offered in Seattle that often, especially for the price he's talking, but pretty awesome. A uh, good deal especially if it's not a giant laptop that you know the lights blink when you plug it in kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know, man. Like Apple, I don't like the Apple Store just cuz it's always so busy, but I still in the back of my head feel like if anything went wrong, I could probably get things fixed pretty quickly. I
0: feel like they would. They would
1: handle that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I called them up once when my office was broken into, (laughs) uh, they had stolen all my computers. And so I called Apple and I said, hi, uh, any, do you have any high end computers? And he said, sure thing I do. I'm like, okay, have it ready for me when I, when I arrive (laughs) and I arrived and he had the computer, I gave him money and I walked out and it was so fast and so simple. I was like, that's how you do an Apple store.
0: (laughs) And that's how you get it done. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Ah, well, um, that's it. Thanks everyone for writing in. I I like, uh, listening to, um, you, Frank, and I also like reading from our, our listeners. It it actually shows that people, people actually listen to this podcast. Did you know that Frank?
1: Ooh, that's, that's interesting. But now I see that they're commenting and I want to go back and read all these comments. I see there's some comments from episode 157, 137. Uh, uh sorry everyone i need to read these more often and i'll get on that yeah i
0: think it's the the problem is always like going to different websites and checking stuff but we'll do a better job we swear and um you know go over to mergeconflict.fm devops tell it. your friends devops it Ooh. make it an what, event
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably
0: have, <laughs> have some gates and then we have to review it and then we have to did we talk about it on the podcast uh i don't know maybe just an email So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who wrote in and thanks for everyone who listened. And thanks Frank for putting up with my nasally still sick after a week voice. Um, hopefully you didn't tell. And that means I've been muting constantly.
1: Oh yeah. You've done an excellent job. Well, I was sick for the last two recordings. So, uh, sorry, I must've passed it on through the electrons. I believe so.
0: Um, but yeah, you know, hey, at least I can snuggle up with this one hour and six minute podcast to get me through the sickness. Oh so God. that's going to do, do it for this week's podcast. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno.
1: And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening for an hour and six minutes. Peace.